Welcome. Welcome to the Age of Organizational Effectiveness. This is the podcast that explores stories about organizations and their performance. I'm your host, Charles Chandler. Today we're up to episode 86 in our podcast series, and we're titling this, Why Does Worker Productivity Remain So Low? Worker productivity is the output of goods and services per hour worked. In the broad terms of an industry, productivity is the gross output of industry sales divided by the number of workers allocated to produce the output. After World War II, worker productivity in the USA improved significantly due to the investments made by companies and the technological advances of the period. Increasingly, American products were in high demand as much of the rest of the world rebuilt after the war. The U.S. government provided educational opportunities, largely free of cost, to returning service personnel who then entered the workforce with improved skills. Typical of the times, firms retained and invested profits in their growing businesses. It was a period that is now remembered fondly as being a golden age in the American homeland. During the period 1947 to 1973, non-farm worker productivity grew at a robust 2.8% per year, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. By contrast, the last decade, from 2007 to 2016, has seen non-farm worker productivity grow at an anemic 1.2% per year. Granted, the U.S. and much of the world was working its way out of a deep recession during the period, but that may not fully explain the low rate of productivity growth. Productivity growth has been weak and getting weaker for decades in most industrialized countries. If it continues at this pace, living standards in the USA and highly developed countries around the world will stagnate for most workers. Economists have provided a number of competing explanations to try to explain what's going on. I'm going to list eight for you. Number one, management strategies that worked in the past have been widely implemented and may no longer contribute to productivity. Think uh, efficiency gains like downsizing, re-engineering, KPIs, etc. Number two, the slowdown in capital investment following the financial crisis of 2008 has probably contributed to low productivity. Number three, measurement error may be a factor since the measurement of productivity is notoriously difficult. Number four, a delay or lag in productivity gains from any investments in new technology, but these may be realized in coming years. Number five, a fall in wages across the globe during the recession has put pressure on workers' compensation in the USA. Number six, the psychological pressures on workers that do not feel secure in their current position. Number seven, continued weak growth in demand. And finally, number eight, the continuing shift from a manufacturing to a service-based economy. These explanations generally reflect common beliefs among economists about the nature of the current problems surrounding productivity. Now let me focus on another possibility. The underlying negative effect of current management practices on productivity and worker engagement. As Gary Hamill of the London Business School has pointed out, 
Many organizations remain inertial, incremental, and insipid in the face of the creative destruction going on in the world economy. The top-down, command and control, and bureaucratic nature of most organizations is hampering innovation at a time when innovation is key to survival and growth. Clayton Christensen of the Harvard Business School has found another management behavior that's limiting innovation and growth. It relates to the financial metrics, such as the internal rate of return, being used in public companies. First, Christensen outlines three common types of innovation. Number one is market-creating innovation. This type of innovation creates growth in the economy as it discovers ways to take expensive products that have limited appeal and make them widely available at lower cost to a mass market. The evolution of the computer from the mainframe to the personal computer to the smartphone is an example of that. The benefits of this type of innovation in the financial metrics are apparent only in the long term, five to ten years out, while there is likely to be a short-term decrease until the investments pay off. Number two, sustaining innovation. This type of innovation makes good products better but doesn't create growth due to the substitution of new for old. For example, if you buy a Toyota Prius hybrid, you will not be buying a Camry. And the final type of innovation that Clayton Christensen mentioned is efficiency innovation. This type of innovation tries to do more with less through downsizing, right-sizing, or other cutback measures. It generally eliminates jobs but frees up cash. The benefits of this type of innovation are apparent in the short term in the financial metrics. Since efficiency innovations provide short-term results, which can be seen quickly in the financial metrics, but market-creating innovation only pays off in the long term, it is the efficiency improvements that usually went out. This, too, can help explain lower worker productivity in recent decades. But a recent article in Harvard Business Review of March 1, 2017, noted that great companies obsess over productivity rather than efficiency since the benefits of efficiency improvements have now played out. Despite weak top-line growth in many years, the 1990s and the 2000s saw the earnings growth of S&P 500 companies run nearly three times the rate of inflation due to improvements in efficiency. However, starting with the quarter ending March 31, 2015, S&P 500 earnings began falling and have remained negative ever since. Without top-line growth, continuing efforts to achieve improvements in efficiency eventually hit a proverbial brick wall. The same HBR article found three fundamental tenets of a productivity mindset that executives need to understand. First, most employees want to be productive, but the organization often gets in the way. Number two, a company's talented difference makers are often put in roles that limit their effectiveness. And three, employees have plenty of discretionary energy that could be devoted to their work, but many are not sufficiently motivated to do so. As is often the case with this podcast, we have once again found a need to reinvent management for the 21st century and beyond. Efficiency improvements have worked their way through companies in recent decades, but have taken a significant toll on future growth. The current path on which many public corporations find themselves is not sustainable. Now we need to create corporations that invest for the future, 
in workers and their work by providing the freedom and the tools to do creative and innovative work. It seems that innovation is the only likely path out of the current low productivity regime. To find this path, I recommend a new management approach that we have discussed before on this podcast and which is described in my 2017 book, Become Truly Great, Serve the Common Good Through Management by Positive Organizational Effectiveness. And that's all for this week. Join us again next time when we'll again explore stories about organizations and their performance. Thanks for joining us.